All right, you pitiful submitted sad tanks, I'm and listen up. I'm your commanding officer, General Malley. Aloha. I do not know what that means, but I like the sound. Aloha. Let's listen to the land we all love. Nature's plan will shine upon. Listen to the land. Listen to the land. We have entered a wondrous new age. The age of information. Like a grand and miraculous spaceship. The WDW Radio Show has sailed through time, and for a brief period, we have been among its many listeners. Since the dawn of time, Disney fans have yearned to reach out to one another, to connect, to communicate. And now, Lou Mangello aids our quest with the WDW Radio podcast W Radio Your Information Station Welcome back and thanks for tuning in once again to the WDW Radio Show Your Walt Disney World Information Station I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 17 for the week of June 3rd, 2007. This week's show starts off with some news and views from Walt Disney World, which includes more new Disney merchandise, Star Wars, and Muppets. And that's just in one story alone. My visit to the Walt Disney World rumor mill includes more Fast Pass updates, a possible change to the Jungle Cruise, and more bus system updates as well. Jeff Pepper and I take a different type of trip in the Walt Disney World Wayback Machine as we celebrate Goofy's 75th birthday with a look at his history and animation and his presence through the years in and around the Walt Disney World Resort. Chantel Crawford and I examine the best DVC indulgence in this week's Best of the Best segment. I'll also answer your emails, which includes vacation planning information, resort advice, anniversary ideas, and the Platinum Package, the old Walt Disney World A through E ticketing system, Disney DVDs, and more. Be sure to stay tuned for your listener voicemails at the very end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. And now, a WDW Radio Show News and Views Report. Live from the WDW Radio Studios in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. This week's news segment takes us first back to Star Wars Weekends because many of you seem to really enjoy this segment that we did just a couple of weeks ago. Well, if you hadn't had enough and you still have some money left in your wallet, brace yourself because there's some great new merchandise that's coming out. Thanks to Pat, Disney Dame 2004. She sent me a link to swstartours.net that I'll put up in the show notes because in order to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Star Wars, Disney Merchandising's Brad Schoenenberg and Cody Reynolds hosted a panel on the history and future of Disney Star Wars products at Celebration 4 in Los Angeles last week. There's lots of new merchandise going to be released and it's basically segmented into different demographics. For the preschool set, there's going to be a lot of new additions in the Star Wars Mr. Potato headline, including, forgive me, Spud Fett, 
Yam Solo, Luke Frywalker, Darth Mash, and Princess Tater. For girls, there's going to be a new line of dress-up dolls for Princess Leia and Queen Amidala. For toddlers, there's going to be a squeeze set of characters from Star Wars. But really the most exciting part are the Disney characters as Star Wars character action figures. Now you may have seen the Jedi Mickey 2-pack with Yoda that you can get over at the Disney MGM Studios and Downtown Disney. But there is a whole new line of figures that are coming out. Series 1 is going to consist of Stitch as the Emperor, Goofy as Darth Vader, Minnie as Leia, Mickey as Luke Skywalker, and Donald Duck as Han Solo. In Series 2, the characters are going to pull double duty as other personalities. You're going to get Mickey now as his own father, where he's going to play Anakin Skywalker. You're going to get Goofy as Jar Jar Binks. And Stitch will be the warm, fuzzy, and lovable Emperor. Now, if you think that's good, if you're a Muppet fan, it gets even better. Because they also showed sketches of Muppets now being shown as Star Wars characters. You're going to have Beaker as C-3PO, which is worth the price of the set right there. Fozzie Bear as Chewbacca. Miss Piggy as Princess Leia, Kermit as Luke Skywalker, and Gonzo as the evil fiend Darth Nader. Rizzo of the Rat, of course, will be Yoda. Other items are going to include a Mickey lightsaber with a hidden Mickey activation button, as well as Disney Star Wars-themed dueling decks of playing cards. You're also going to see some older items reintroduced uh, with just new packaging like the Star Speeder, etc. There's also going to be the Cantina Band figures, which are going to be exclusive to Star Wars Weekends at Walt Disney World and not sold in Disneyland in Anaheim. Now, in addition to the merchandise, there were a couple of notable questions that were answered by the people from Disney. Somebody asked if Star Wars Weekends were ever going to come to Anaheim, and they said, quote, it's being worked on. And also answering the question as to whether they do more Star Tours figures, they replied that they had not ruled that out. Also, speaking of Star Wars Weekends, due to film scheduling conflicts, Warwick Davis, who was Wicked the Ewok, will not appear on the June 1st through 3rd weekend as scheduled previously. Instead, Bonnie Piesi, who is Beru Lars, is going to appear in, her, in his place. Warwick Davis will appear on June 22nd through the 24th in place of her. Staying over at the studios, it appears as though the roof of the ABC Theater, which was the old home for Superstar Television and Doug Live, is getting some maintenance and quote-unquote enhancements based on documents filed with the Orange County Comptroller, which may not mean much other than maybe there are some hopes that something will eventually take up that space. I'll put a picture up in the show notes of the uh, blueprint that was filed with Orange County. Over on Mickey Avenue at the studios uh, by the upcoming Toy Story Mania building, it appears that Disney is ready to install the actual ride mechanism, projectors, and screens based on permit filings as well. Now, with the inside of the attraction being installed, it appears as though the summer 2008 opening should be right on schedule. Now, as a result of this construction, there are going to be some changes, albeit temporary, coming to Mickey Avenue, which you should be aware of, starting on June 25th. The Kim Possible meet-and-greet location is going to be moved over to Streets of America. Friends of JoJo's Circus and Little Einstein's meet-and-greet is going to be moved to the Animation Courtyard near Playhouse Disney Live on stage. The meet-and-greet for Sorcerer Mickey has been moved over to the big Sorcerer Mickey hat in front of the theater. And finally, the area between Journey into Narnia and the Backlot Tour entrance will be closed to get traffic during this time as well. These changes are expected to be in effect until the end of 2007, so make sure you make your plans accordingly. Over at Disney's Animal Kingdom, if you love, as I do, the Finding Nemo the Musical show in Disney's Animal Kingdom, there is a great video with backstage footage over at broadwayworld.com. I'll put the exact link up in the show notes. 
This video has beautiful show highlights, interviews, a visit backstage with co-creators Kristen Anderson Lopez and her Tony Award-winning husband, Bobby Lopez. This link was sent to me thanks to Dan in the UK as well as a few others. I appreciate you sending that over. If you're planning on celebrating a special event at Walt Disney World, there's a new cake hotline number that you need to take note of. As in, I need a cake stat. So if you're celebrating anything at any table service or most table service dining locations throughout the park, the cake hotline number is 407-827-2253. If you call that number and give them 48 hours notice, you can request a 6-inch non-personalized cake upon your arrival at the podium for $12.50 plus tax. Finally, I want to mention something that I had previously reported as a rumor, but I'm now going to mention as news, as I have confirmation from the Hackercraft company that the replacement boat for Breathless has arrived in Walt Disney World as of Saturday, July 2nd. As I reported a few months ago, it's a 1991 Hackercraft made by the Hacker Boat Company of Silver Bay, New York. The boat has many updates and upgrades from the original Breathless, which was made by Chris Craft, and it is expected to be christened Breathless 2. Now, I don't have any information as to when you can actually start making reservations for Breathless, but as soon as I do, I'll either post them in the show notes or mention them here on the show. For more information about any of the topics I covered on this week's news segment, visit the WDWRadio.com website for photos, links, as well as a link over to the message boat forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com where you can discuss any of the topics from this week's show. this week's visit to the Walt Disney World Rumor Mill, there are more rumors coming out about the new FastPass system. This comes from listener Holly, as well as a few others. Holly writes and says, Hi Lou, I love your show. I was at Disney last week and took the keys to the Kingdom Tour at the Magic Kingdom. Our tour guide mentioned that they are changing the FastPass system to be like the Disneyland system. She also said that in addition, they're going to allow you to get more than one FastPass at a time. She said you'd be allowed to get a second Fast Pass for a different ride if it was a different kind of ride or in a different part of the park. For example, if you get a Fast Pass for Space Mountain, then you could also get a Fast Pass for Peter Pan because they are different kinds of rides in different areas of the park. She also said that they were already experiencing experimenting with it at Epcot and that we should try to get a second Fast Pass if we were there. I never got a chance to try it, but it sounded like a great addition to the Fast Pass system. She also told us that the Haunted Mansion was going to get the floating Leota head, much like in Disneyland. I just thought you might like to hear about these things. Thanks for the great show, Holly. Holly, thank you for the uh, updated information about Fast Pass. I have heard similar things from other guests as well as cast members. Also, I have heard about the floating Leota head for the uh, upcoming update to the Haunted Mansion, uh, something that I would definitely like to see from what I understand the floating little head effect is something spectacular. If anybody has any experience with this possible change to the FastPass system, by all means, please let me know. Let me know the details so we can get a better understanding of exactly how this new system is going to work. The Jungle Cruise rumor over in Adventureland be going down for extensive rehab is once again beginning to swirl, as there's been talk of an expected closure of the attraction beginning in early 2008. Now, it's unknown if the rumors of the addition of characters such as Timon and Pumbaa are true, and if there will be any tie-in to the upcoming movie are planned. As I get an official word from Disney of any closure dates, I'll be sure to report them on the website and on the show as news. 
A number of listeners have called or emailed me recently about the new spiels on the Walt Disney World buses, and more rumors are now coming to light about what else may be planned. The new audio system has already been installed in the four theme park routes, but the next phase seems to involve the bus stops themselves. It's expected that guests will be able to insert their Key to the World card into a reader, which will notify the dispatcher in real time that there are guests waiting for a bus. This will also advise the dispatcher about how often guests are coming to the stops, the number of guests waiting, etc. Automated counters on each bus will then be able to track how full each bus is, when and if another bus needs to be dispatched, etc. Obviously, the increase in efficiency and reduction of waiting times for buses will be a huge improvement to the system, much to the delight of guests. And if you have any rumors that you want to share or discuss, send me an email to lou at wdwradio.com or call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. Gosh, this is swell. Are you having a good time? For this segment that, well, I guess it really has no name, I, I want to welcome back Jeff Pepper to the show, um, because this segment really was inspired by something that uh, was Jeff's idea and Jeff's incarnation, so Jeff, welcome back. Hey, Lou, how's it going today? Good, good. I see we're still talking even after the Disney trip. <laughs> I've put the monorail incident behind me. <laughs> yeah. And more, literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah, this was Jeff. This was your idea. It was based on something that that you started on your blog. And what we want to do is we want to pay tribute to uh, yet another milestone, as you say, in Disney history that that kind of went unrecognized. And we're not talking about the anniversary of a theme park or anything like that. We're talking about a birthday. And this time, it's a birthday of Goofy because this year is his 75th birthday. So what we thought we would do is we kind of talk a little bit about Goofy the character and kind of where he is in and around the Walt Disney World theme parks because um, he is one of the Fab Five and he probably is in a lot more places and uh, locations in and around the parks than, than you may not know and Jeff's going to do a great job I'm sure of tying it into some of his his history and some of the early cartoons so Jeff why don't you go ahead and kind of get us started with telling us a little bit about you know, the character of Goofy and how he came to be. Alrighty let's, let's uh, turn that way back machine 75 years back to 1932 and it was this month, uh, the month of May, in 1932, on May 25th exactly, was the release of a cartoon called Mickey's Review. And that was where Goofy made his debut, albeit he was named Dippy Dog in it, but he was clearly Goofy. He was a little shaggier and uh, a little bit more ragged, and but he's definitely recognizable in that short, and he basically would, would go on to evolve into to Goofy over the years. And, I'm going to uh, stop you and ask you one quick question. Uh, yeah. Because I know I, I get this question all the time, and we should probably clear it up for the people that don't know. What is Goofy? I, I literally get this question, you know, uh, probably <laughs> once a month. What is Goofy? Is he as a dog? Is he a person? Well, you, you've seen Stand By Me, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little 80s pop culture reference for some of those the older folks out there. You know, what is Goofy? Um, Goofy is a dog. But he's he's a he's a dog in the way that Mickey is a mouse, as opposed to Pluto, who is definitely a dog. You know, Pluto, you know, never ta- well. He talked a couple times, but they were like sort of weird situations in the early days. But you know, P- Pluto was clearly a dog. Goofy is a dog-like person, much in the way Mickey and Minnie and Donald are. You know, 
there's a there's a term out there, and I'm I'm gonna mispronounce this. So pseudo pseudo animal, amorphous is something. <laughs> <laughs> and as, as you're always fond of saying, somebody's screaming at their iPod right, right. now. Uh, but anyway, that's that's he's kind of a dog. I mean, he's got the dog ears and the dog face and everything like that. But you know, it's 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 always the point of you know you know humorous controversy. So, but um, so anyway, um, Goofy uh basically was a bit player in the early days. Um. He evolved into kind of a co-star with Mickey and Donald throughout the 30s. And and basically, there's three very distinct kind of personalities of Goofy as he went on through his film career. And even as he came you know, beyond that into the 60s, 70s, and even into the present day in the theme parks, there's a traditional Goofy, which is kind of just the Goofy everybody knows. This is blue pants and orange shirt and green hat and his vest. And kind of the, the gosh, you know, kind of laid back, you know, Goofy guy. And... Um, in the 40s, he kind of emerged in his cartoons as Sport Goofy, um, which has almost become a brand of sorts for Disney. They've, they've successfully launched it in the merchandise and TV shows and things like that. Where and it was basically rooted in a series of cartoons that were sports themed, like how to play baseball, how to play football, hockey homicide, which were some very, very, very funny cartoons. They're some of the funniest cartoons the studio did. It was almost more like and, a how not to play golf. How yeah, not to exactly. Play. <laughs> There's the, the one in particular, Hockey Homicide. If you're a fan of hockey in any way, shape, or form, it is a riot. And it's it's 50 years old, and it still stands up this day as just incredible. And it's just, it's just the be-all and end-all of hockey and, and hockey fans and just the fighting and, you know, the whole thing. It's, it's great. Um, and then in the 1950s, he kind of took a weird kind of left turn where he became this kind of 1950s everyman. And he even they even created this persona for him called George Geef. Which was this, you know, you know, a cartoon, humorous cartoon version of, you know, Ozzy Nelson or Ward Cleaver, you know, uh, and basically just going through the motions of everyday life in a series of cartoons there. And interestingly enough, these these three different incarnations, you'll you'll see them popping up as we talk about the various uh, theme park attractions. So. Yeah, and we mentioned quickly offline. I remember seeing as a kid, uh, I guess it was a comic book. You said. Uh, when he was a superhero, when he was super goof or super goofy, yeah, he uh, donned some red long johns and uh, kind of was a <laughs> sort of a parody of all the superhero comics of the the fifties and sixties, and he was quite popular in that way. But he it only it only emerged in, in an animated form later uh, on the uh, House of Mouse uh, TV show that was back uh, late nineties, early two thousands there. All so. Right. Yeah, and like we said, you know, Goofy ha- has been a part of Walt Disney World since its inception, and there's lots of locations that that you saw him in the in the past, and that you can still see him. Obviously, the first thing that comes to mind would be the Barnstormer over in Toontown. Um, you know, Goofy's Wise Acre Farm and Goofy's Barnstormer uh, over at the Magic Kingdom. Well, like, maybe we'll try and do it. We'll, we'll try and do a park by park. We'll try and see if we can pick out all the places where we can see Goofy uh, in Main Street. On Main Street, you can see him, his statue over outside the Exposition Hall. And there's also the Goofy Posematic device, which is kind of a um, little pieces of machinery put together to kind of come up with this uh, pseudo Goofy where he can take pictures. Actually, it wasn't there last time we were there. Yeah, they. It seems like when they expanded the um, uh, Tony's restaurant there to the um, porch seating, uh, uh, the Posematic vanished. And I, it, I thought they might have moved it inside the exposition hall somewhere, but I. Uh, rooted around there the last time I was there, and it, it wasn't anywhere to be found. Yeah, there was a box covering his location, and the people inside weren't sure if he was either down for refurb or if they had took him away or if we're going to find him on eBay sometime soon. So, But his other statue, the statue where you can sit next to him outside, uh, um, is still there over on Main Street. 
And that also has some audio that goes with it, does it not? Yeah, every every so often, I think it just kind of plays. Um, I don't remember what the clip is that, that it plays, and kind of either inviting you to sit down or or take a picture with him. And he's he's all decked out too. He's in he's in traditional Main Street finery. Yeah, he's got his Victorian kind of suit on and things like that. It's a pretty neat, pretty statue. We'll see if we can put a picture of that up in the show notes. Um, trying to think other places oh you know you mentioned sport goofy and made me think of mickey's country house because there's um there's some nods to him there if you'll see there's a uh a paddle one of the ping pong paddles is actually shaped like a goofy head Mm -hmm. yes um what else there's a magic kingdom parking lot name named after goofy he's in the uh he's in the parades he's in special magic with his big yellow overcoat he's playing the xylophone and the drums things like that um Oh, and the Goofy's Country Dance and Jamboree, which kind of a short... Which also had a Christmas incarnation as well. <laughs> right, right. And during Christmas, he's Santa Goofy. You can see him as Santa Goofy uh, in and around the Magic Kingdom. Um, oh, do you remember the um, back in the early 70s on the Seven Seas Lagoon, there used to be a Wonderful World of Water show. And when we first started talking about this, that, that was one of the, the, the photos that came to mind. Again, I'll try and put a picture up of this in the show note. This was a D-ticket attraction where you could actually have to go to the special grandstand and viewing area. And there were all kinds of um, kite acts and water skiers and things like that. And Goofy and Donald were these you know, two big water skiers. I mean, they were really water skiing behind a boat on the Seven Seas Lagoon. This, this only lasted maybe one, one season. You really got to give credit to... Well, we don't want to ruin anything. That to Goofy <laughs> for being as large as he is, especially with those shoes that you know to right. water ski <laughs> was was quite the achievement. <laughs> so, and, uh, jumping back real quick, we we'll jump back to um, Goofy's uh, Wiseacre Farm. Um, there is a very very cool spot in there that pays homage to um, a Goofy cartoon. And that is when you walk through the queue line, you'll come to a point where there's a workshop and there's a drafting table. Mm-hmm. And on the drafting table are the plans for the uh, multiflex octoplane. And uh, there's a model there. Well, the picture on the wall behind it shows Goofy in a glider. And that comes from the um, 19, I believe, at 1940 cartoon Goofy's glider. And that's actually um, right out of the, the short. It's actually, you know. It's not the exact picture from the short, but it's the picture itself is taken from the short. It's 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 inspired by that. So there was some you know aeronautics rooted in Goofy history that uh, part was partly the inspiration for the attraction. Yeah, and that multiflex octoplane bl- blueprint is one of my favorite little uh, hidden details in around the park. I, I think it's pretty neat the detail they put in, into the queue there. Yeah, if you if you look actually k- kind of close at it, um, I got it on the on the blog as a wallpaper. Um, it's it's run by chipmunks. Really? Did you ever catch? Yeah, <laughs> no. you, have to, you have to look close at it. Chip, I think it's Chip or Dale. One of the two. I think it might be Dale is actually in there, and they allude to the fact that it's chipmunk power, and so it can be unreliable at times. So. Yeah, over at Epcot, obviously, where there weren't characters when the park first opened, you actually can find Goofy in a number of places. And I'm sure one of the first thing that comes to mind is you might see the Space Goofy over by Mission Space with Mickey. But I think a lot of people forget, and probably because it's closed now, is Goofy about health. I mean, Goofy had his own attraction and, and set of attractions over there. Yeah, that was, I believe, the very first character-related attraction to go into Epcot. And that, I have to tell you, is one of my very favorite um, attractions. And it's everybody's going to go, what, are you nuts? 
because um, it was very low key. It was just kind of one of those filler little things put in the middle of the pavilion there. You know, it started every you know it, what ran about twenty minutes, I guess fifteen twenty minutes. Right. I don't even think it was that long. I think it was about maybe about ten minutes. But what was really neat about it, it was totally derived from the 1950 cartoons. And that's coming back to where I was talking about the character of George Geef um, that they created in the 1950s. They literally pulled all their source material for Goofy About Health from those cartoons. There was about four of them predominantly. One was called Cold War, which was about fighting a cold, Tomorrow We Die, No Smoking, How to Sleep, uh, a couple of fitness-related ones. And they created that sort of multimedia um, production using all of that and what I really liked about it it was it was playing to the health you know aspect you know of the pavilion but it was drawing on the very things that Goofy was doing back in the 50s to do the same thing um, and it was I just really got a big kick out of it I thought it was a lot of fun and it just it had all those little homages to to all those earlier cartoons yeah and it had not only you know the screens but there was a live action Goofy there as well there was yeah, I wasn't there. Wasn't there a, a uh, wasn't there a live action Goofy? Oh no, no, not, you, you know, not what? as part of the production. No, you're right. I actually have there, there's a um, there's a photo I have of Goofy standing in front, but it was just a promo thing. He actually never. Yeah. You're right. He he never appeared um, in the show. Okay, you're right. But the set was like a, I remember the set was. Um, I guess I have to use past tense because it's probably closed for good. It it was kind of made up to look like a, a town, right? Wasn't yeah. it up to look like a town? There was a and you had the various houses. You had a bar. A restaurant bar because it showed you know the bad living in the bar, the drinking and the smoking <laughs> and everything like that. And there was a garage, you know. There was a house, a doctor's um, office. Doc- yeah, doctor's office. Um, just yeah, it was it was great. And like I said, it played to all those old cartoon elements. It was it was really very cool. And it's again where the Imagineers dug back into the vaults and created something that was very true to what the characters were before. And were all the clips in there used from the original? Yeah, animation. Mm-hmm. Nothing. There was, there was nothing a doctor. There was a picture of a doctor in there, and I can't. You know, I would have to dig back through the Goofy cartoons because I was thinking about that. Because there's actually the only way I've been able to go back. I've been able to find some stills of the um, attraction in uh, Disney magazines, some old Disney magazines, and there's a picture of a doctor. And I'm thinking that he might not have been from a cartoon, but he might be. I just I haven't had the chance to really dig back through all the cartoons and double check. Hmm. But I think I was most of it was recycled from those those cartoons. Okay. I'm trying to think where else in Epcot. Um, the only other place I could really think of was back when they had the Surprise in the Sky show back in 1991 to celebrate Epcot's 20th. Uh, one of the things that they had there that was pretty cool was they had this this finale of giant Jack in the Boxes, and they had these giant you know 45, 50 foot um, balloons of classic characters. And I remember there was one of Goofy there. There was also Mickey and Pooh. I think there was also Pinocchio and Tigger. I don't remember. Um, what some of the other characters there were, but that was that was again another one of those limited time kind of special things. Well, here let me let me throw one out for you that'll here again we'll set the geek meter, you know, <laughs> off the off the meter or whatever. Is uh, um, Kidcot Fun Station mm-hmm. or Fun Stop in uh, the Inside Track store at Test Track, and this is a very very interesting thing because. This was actually, they even featured one of the, the aspects of this in that recent uh, little field guide to Epcot that came out, the Imagineers field guide. Right. Um, the Kidcot station is all about, um, aer- you know, it's, it's basically themed to car designing and aeronautics and different things like that, scientific aspects of car design. But Goofy is the central character in it, and they have a big display board that sits behind where the little um, tables are for the kids to do their little Kidcot activities. 
and one large section of that is dream cars and it has all these various wacky um, types of vehicles um, you know it's Pluto is chasing a cat on a platform and that's creating you know the forward motion or whatever there's um, an actual mock-up in a glass case of what they call Goofy's bathmobile and it's a bathtub type <laughs> vehicle well again most people walking past that are never going to get the connection all of those designs were from a, um, let's see, it was a 1943 uh, cartoon right in the middle, smack dab in the middle of World War II called Victory Vehicles. And what it was, it was because there were gasoline shortages back then during the war, the cartoon was taking Goofy and saying, okay, here's all these designs for alternate forms of transportation. And they were all wacky kind of Rube Goldberg-esque <laughs> you know, ty- types of vehicles. And what they did was they literally lifted all of that, and it's like they used the actual stills from the movie for the display board there and called it Dream Cars. And and again, the Bathmobile, if you watch the cartoon, the Bathmobile shows up in blueprints near the beginning of the cartoon, and they actually created a three-dimensional mock-up model of that from the cartoon. Again, they don't identify it there at all as anything being from that cartoon, but they literally drew all their inspiration from for that display from this original cartoon from the 40s wow. so it geek out for me you know? <laughs> very, wow, very well done bro golf clap that was i'm very impressed <laughs> <laughs> um let's see over at the just shaking they're shaking their head oh, they're like God. where did he find this guy anyway um <laughs> <laughs> uh, the engineers the... out there going thank you <laughs> somebody picked this up <laughs> somebody knows <laughs> um over at the studio's um, obviously, he's got his handprints over at the theater, and you kept on using, doing your bad, goofy Garsh impression. He wrote Garsh backwards um, when they, when they dedicated the studios on, on May first. Other than that, at the studio, the only thing I, I was able to think of was Darth Goofy during Star Wars weekends. I, I couldn't Which really. They're think of, doing a uh, big figure, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And actually, uh, during the the news section, I'm talking about some of the. the Star Wars figures that are coming out and some of the new, you know, connections they're gonna have with with Goofy too. So, uh, but yeah, I, I can't, I couldn't think of anything else over at the studios. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing something somewhere. But over at Disney's Animal Kingdom is one of my favorite uh, kind of goofy references, and that's the the statue by Camp Minnie Mickey over in, uh, yeah. you know, kind of on by the by the stream over there. And I know that you're gonna talk about where that ties into. It really doesn't. Oh, okay. Well, we're all done here. <laughs> no, just, it, very coincidentally, um, that was uh, I just ran that picture on the blog of uh, of him fishing, and there's not really a direct connection where they literally lifted him, um, but he did have a cartoon that was called How to Fish. So, all right. And if you look at, and we'll put a picture in the on the you know WDW Radio website of, um, you can see Goofy's kind of laying back, you know, with his bedroll, and he's got. Um, He's got his fishing rod and things like that there, so it's it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty neat reference to that. And here to there. geek out again, you know what is very cool is if you look closely at him, he has holes in the bottom of his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so true to form, right? So yeah, other than the nose reference, the other places you can see in and out around the parks. Um, the first thing I thought of was the Goofy Challenge, which is for those insane people that run the marathon and the half marathon. In two days, let's not talk about my training for the marathon. And um, all around the parks, something I, I really, really like is Goofy's Candy Company. You can see it in the theme parks. You can see it in downtown Disney. Jeff, I know you're a big fan of this uh, on a variety oh, yeah, of levels the, as well. 
Yeah, the, um, the the shop in downtown Disney is just great in terms of design. I mean, a lot of people don't really think a lot about the shops when they're talking about, you know, things, you know, the, the effort that Imagineering puts out there when they're designing these things. And the Goofy Candy Company, you can spend, you know, a half an hour just walking. And it's not a big store, but you can just walk around and just take a look at all the little design elements that are in there. It's just, it's wonderful. The Goofy periodic table of elements is my particular favorite. Yeah, and, you, and, and on your post, you have a great thing about some of the different chalkboards that have, you know, these crazy formulas and, and instructions and things like that. And, and we're obviously going to link over to that as well. The, the, the element of goofunium. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess finally, the last thing to talk about is um, that if you want to see Goofy, in addition to being able to see him in and around the parks, a great way to see him is some of the... I mean, he, he appears at many, many character meals, both in the parks and outside. He appears at the Cape, Cape May Cafe... Chef Mickey's, uh, Gulliver's Grill, and the Garden Grove over at the Swan, Ohana's Restaurant Asaurus, at least for the time being, and obviously um, over at the Liberty Tree Tavern in uh, the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, it's it's funny when you when you really look at the big picture. Um, I was kind of glancing through some of my merchandise. Uh, I have this huge license plate collection that I've collected over the years, and you know you talk about the Fab Five, and it really almost boils down to the Fab Three, that, be, that being Mickey, Donald, and uh, Goofy. When it comes down to, you know, if there's if there's doing a design that only has two or three characters on it, it's coming down almost to those three the majority of the time. And even in that regard, it's, I, think, I think that in some ways, Goofy even, you know, trumps Donald in, in his placement with a lot of these things. Like when you look at things like the Goofy Candy Company and just all these very, you know, he doesn't have, he only has one attraction, but he, he's just Everywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> you well, know? you know, I, I think he, I'm sorry. I, I think he's a lot more popular than I originally ha- had anticipated. And I guess maybe because he is that everyman. And I, you also see him in a lot of educational stuff because of, of the stuff that Disney does, you know, with him in that regard. Well, you know, he, he has the quality that he's, he's very, very lovable. Um, he's almost like the approachable character mm. you know mickey's like the big star and you just can't get close to it <laughs> donald's you know has a temper you just don't want to deal with but goofy's the kind of guy you want to go out and have a beer with <laughs> yeah he, he's kind of he's got that that childlike you know innocence about him and i guess people uh, on some levels can can relate to him too so but um i'm, I'm sure we missed something if not more than one, in and around the parks and how it relates to Goofy. Um, and, and that's just kind of scratching the surface again. We, we probably could have talked forever about some of the other places you could have seen him, and Jeff, you could have tied it. And we too. usually do, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually going to end this, end this segment as, you know, when I when I thought we were going to be able to end it. So, <laughs> Before we get off the beaten path and we run another uh, 25 minutes, Jeff, I want to thank you. Uh, you, you did a, oh, an incredible job on your blog. Again, I'm going to re- uh, link over to that. That's 2719hyperion.blogspot.com. Um, Jeff has, has a great way of being able to tie a lot of things you see in and around Walt Disney World to the films and shorts and, and characters that may have inspired him. And we're going to do a lot more of that with our Wayback Machine and Disney scene investigations in the future. So, uh, Jeff, thank you very much. And Goofy, um, happy 75th. Yes, and one quick plug again, Luke. Uh, uh, yeah, Lou. <laughs> That's Lou, L-O-U. <laughs> Luke, I am your father. Uh, don't forget uh, all my uh, fellow uh, Southern folks down here, uh, Charles Widgeway, uh, this Tuesday um, at the Barnes & Noble in Winston-Salem. Hope to see all folks there. Cool. Jeff, thanks again, buddy. Thanks.
yourself. This week's hidden treasure of Walt Disney World was sent to me by a number of listeners this week, including Pam Forrester from The Magic for Less Travel. This is a great freebie that I talked about a while ago on the show. I'd like to have some of your favorite Disney characters pretty much all to yourself in a private meet-and-greet area and get a free 5x7 photo from Disney. Well, if you're a Disney Visa card holder, it's easier than you think. If you go to Epcot Intervention West from 1.30 to 4.30 p.m., Simply present your valid Disney Visa credit card for entry up to six people. You'll be taken behind a curtain to a private viewing area with a colorful backdrop and get to meet characters like Mickey, Minnie, Goofy, Chip, Dale, and Pluto. Make sure you bring your camera and autograph books. I took my kids there in March. There was literally nobody there. We stayed in that area for about 10 minutes. You can go back again on another day. You might actually get some different characters. Remember, though, you'll be given a, uh, a voucher. For and a certificate for a photo pickup. You must actually pick your photo up that day. You can't retrieve it via photo pass or online. You have to go to the camera center at the front of Epcot. I'll put the photos of my wife and kids up in this week's show notes. Again, it is a great hidden treasure, a great freebie at Walt Disney World, the Epcot Disney Visa card holder character meet and greet. I missed being able to cover some of your emails and voicemails last week only due to time constraints, so I'm even farther behind than I was before. So let's go ahead and get right into it. Let me first start off by saying that some of the background music you're going to hear this week, especially at the beginning of this email segment, is courtesy of Tom Amin. He is a listener and a professional pianist in Los Angeles. He's been rearranging classic Disney theme park ride music for the piano, and he's looking to create a, a classic Disney theme park music set to piano instrumentals, and I thought that these tracks are beautiful and wanted to play them on this show. If for more information and to find out how to help Tom, you can go to TomAmin.com. Hope you enjoy what he's uh, played for us. He's got a, a nice Horizons and Tomorrow's Child in the background, so I think you're really going to enjoy this. But anyway, let's get on with the emails. The first email comes from Laura Johnson, who says, Lou, thank you so much for the books and podcasts. I've been obsessed with Walt Disney World after my first adult visit on my 30th birthday in 2003. I'd been twice to Walt Disney World and once to Disneyland as a child and thought for certain I would see through the fiberglass facades as an adult. Instead, I now find myself one of those Disney freaks driving around with a Mickey head antenna ball. I know there just had to be a book out there with the little trivia facts that we all want to know. How many Mickey head ice cream bars are sold a year, how many photos are taken of Cinderella Castle, etc. I found just what I was looking for in your first book, then I found your site... And after wrestling the iPod away from my dear husband, I found the podcast right before my most recent trip to Walt Disney World. Then my husband presented me with your second book for my 33rd birthday. So here's the real question. Has or does Disney ever exhibit the renderings, storyboards, and concept models from the development of the parks? Recently, I've been watching the History Channel's Modern Marvels inside Walt Disney World, which is great, but not enough. And that's again from Laura from Rochester, Minnesota. Laura, first, you never give out your age. Like my wife, you are always 29. Second, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, the first thing I would suggest you do is obviously go check out Walt Disney's One Man's Dream in the Disney MGM Studios. That's a great place to see up close, if not authentic things. At least you see replicas of some of sketches. They do have some pretty large size models. You'll see things of mock-ups of Tokyo Disney Sea. Typhoon Lagoon, Cinderella Castles, well, a lot of old props and things like that. Sadly, most of the original models that you're talking about are not displayed publicly. 
during some of the preview center times that they used to have on Main Street, they did have some kind of models and mock-ups and sketches of Epcot, MGM, and Disney's Animal Kingdom. Unfortunately, I have a feeling that we'll never probably see some of those real room-sized models of things like Epcot and Disney's Animal Kingdom, uh, although it would be something wonderful I know that we would all like to see up close. Our second email says, The Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique is not just for little girls. And this was in response to a question that I posed on the show some time ago. Listener Larry Romero lets us know that a princess can be any age over at Walt Disney World. And he writes, Lou, I just got turned on to podcasting and as a huge Disney fan, decided to listen to all of your podcasts to get caught up. On your May 6th show, you read an email asking about age limits at the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique. I wanted to let you see for yourself that there is definitely no age limit. My extended family takes a 10-day vacation to Disney around Thanksgiving every year. Last year, my wife, sister, and mom decided to become princesses for the day. They had so much fun. Not only did they get their hair made up, they wore yellow Minnie Mouse shoes the entire day in the park. You can imagine the comments they got, mostly in awe that they were having so much fun and, of course, where they could get those shoes. Enjoy the picture, which I'll post in this week's show notes. And... Please post it if you can. And that's again from Larry Romero in Granger, Indiana. Larry, you're right. And uh, I did, like I said, post a picture up in the show notes. It looks like everybody did have a great time. So yes, the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique is for princesses of any age. Julie Tiki Bird Lady wrote to me and said, Lou, I just want to let, give you a bit of feedback on the new bus spiels. We were there May 26th through May 30th, and all the buses we rode had the new system of automated spiels. I have to say that I do like them. Most times we ride the bus, but in the past there's almost very little to do with no interaction with the driver. Now to have music and audio clips makes the ride more pleasant, and they're tailored to your destination, which builds anticipation, especially when you're headed to the parks. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Julie, thank you very much for the update on the spiels. Again, I mentioned that before, and I'm looking to see what is gonna, what kind of changes are going to start taking place over at the actual bus stops themselves in the upcoming months. Our next email says, Hey Lou, I'm a new member of the forum, mainly thanks to my girlfriend and your popular podcast. Every time I listen, I get drawn into the magical world of Disney and love it. I just want to say, hey, thanks for doing this for the Disney community. Me and my girlfriend will be going to Disney on July 7th. We'll be there to the 12th. Was hoping that you'd be there during that time. I really enjoyed the topic of the half marathon with you and Jonathan. And although I will not be participating, do want to wish you the best of luck. Thank you. If you can give a shout out to my girlfriend, Catherine. Her username is... 08 Katrina 80 on your podcast. I'd appreciate it greatly. Keep up the great work. You're doing an awesome job. Sincerely, Stephen. Stephen, thank you. And hope both you and Catherine have a great time on your trip in July. Next email reads Hey, Lou, you know everything there is to know about Disney World. Far from it. But maybe you have a link for me on this. The old pre show for Honey, I Shrunk the Audience at Epcot was a Kodak presentation called True Colors. I've searched high and low for a copy of this with no luck. The show was so inspiring, it changed my life after viewing it, and I'd love to find a copy. I even contacted Kodak with no luck, so I thought I'd write you. If it's out there, you might know. Thanks so much, Lou. Keep up the great work on your new podcast. If it's the only one that's so informative and has great interviews, Patty. Patty, thank you very much. And while I believe that I, I do, I might have the old soundtrack for it, I don't think I've seen a video of it recently. Even things like YouTube, uh, you could try and, you know, Google, see if you can find True Colors and, and Epcot. But uh, I'll check and see if I can find a possible video download for it somewhere. If I can, I'll be sure to put it up in this week's show notes. Next email comes from Ryan McGee. He says, Hey Lou, I love the show. I listened to you on your former podcast, and I believe yours is by far the best. Thank you. I had a question for you I hoped you might be able to discuss on your show. My wife and I will be celebrating our first anniversary on October 1st with a week-long vacation at Disney World. I'm interested in taking my wife on a fireworks cruise that night, and I was wondering if you or anyone hadn't gone on such a cruise and what your experience was like. 
If you have any suggestions or ideas on what the best package is or which fireworks show Epcot or Magic Kingdom is best from the lake, I'd love to hear them. Also, if you have any suggestions on how to better spend your anniversary night, I'd love to hear those as well. Thanks for taking the time to put together such a great podcast. I wish you all the best. Well, Ryan, thank you and congratulations to you and your wife on your anniversary. How appropriate that it's October 1st and you will be spending it in Disney. Obviously, you probably heard, if you didn't fast forward through my review of the Illuminations Cruise earlier, you really know how much I enjoy that. I also really, really like the Wishes Cruise. I think that offers you a very, very unique perspective on that show. It gives you a chance to see the real full 180 degree view. You can see how grand the fireworks are, how really they surround the castle and other parts um, of the Magic Kingdom. Uh, You also get a very nice tour of the Seven Seas Lagoon. Uh, I I recommend them both depending on which fireworks show you like better. Uh, ah, Listen, it's your anniversary splurge doing both. But anyway, about your anniversary night, depending on what hotel you're staying at, what kind of ticket package you have, and obviously what your finances might be. uh, You you might want to think about upgrading to something that I think a lot of people don't know about or maybe don't hear about a lot, and that's the Disney's Magic Away Platinum Package. Because in addition to your hotel room and tickets, it's kind of an ultimate luxury plan. That includes breakfast, lunch, and dinner with room service, unlimited recreation like bicycle and boat rentals. You get unlimited tours, reserved seating for Fantasmic, golf lessons, spa treatments, Tickets to Cirque du Soleil, La Nuba. Uh, if you have any kids, you have unlimited childcare in the resort, fireworks cruises, itinerary plannings, lots of keepsakes, things like that. These are available over at Select uh, Deluxe Resort. Again, if you don't want all those things, if this is just a, a, a very special one night that you want to spend and maybe you don't want to spend the money on the full package, what I would do is probably suggest to extract some of the things that are available from that. Maybe spend a full day spend the afternoon at the Grand Floridian at the spa, have dinner at Portobello's in downtown Disney, or if you really want to splurge over at Victoria and Albert's in the Grand Floridian, you can be followed up by a trip to go see Cirque du Soleil, La Nuba, have drinks or dancing or late night snack in downtown Disney at like House of Blues or Pucks or Bongos. You really can make a full, full day out of it. Of course, in there, you also might want to take one of the cruises that we alluded to. Uh, I'll put some links up in the show notes where you can find out more information. Also, if you have any questions about booking a, uh, a platinum package, as well as costs, things like that, you can contact the Magic for Less Travel. I know they'd be happy to answer any questions that you might have. Just to give you an idea of what a possible cost might be, and don't take this as gospel because I did just do a very quick search, didn't search for any kind of discounts, but I went on Disney's website, I did a search for a trip for June 1st through the 5th at the Polynesian with the Platinum Plan with a five-day hopper pass, and the total for two people was $4,063. Again, I suggest contacting Disney directly or a travel agency like the Magic for Less Travel. They can answer any questions you have as well as get you a much more accurate quote and give you more information about the plan itself. James from Philadelphia writes in and says, I was wondering if I can get your opinion on the moderate resorts. Which one do I think is best? How would you rank them all? Do I have any personal experiences with Port Orleans French Quarter? Thanks again for your hard work with the podcast, website, and books. They're really something special. Any plans for a third book? James, I really, really like the moderate resorts. I think they have far more amenities than the Valley Resorts do. I think it's a, a big step up from what you get there. And again, depending on how much time you spend in your room, how you vacation, that might be worth the extra amount of money. As far as which I think is best, and to answer your third question, I think Port Orleans French Quarter, in my personal opinion, is is by far the best out of them. Uh, I think it's very quaint. I think it's very intimate. I think the theming is just wonderful. The only thing that it's missing there is a sit-down restaurant, but you can walk over to Riverside and enjoy boat rights. I think if I had to rank them personally, I'd say French Quarter, then Riverside, then Coronado, then Caribbean Beach. 
Something also you might, might want to take note of is that depending on how many people you are traveling with in your family, Coronado Springs does have a number of suites. They have a junior suite, one bedroom, and two bedroom suite. So if you do have a larger family, need the extra space, that might be a better uh, option for you. As far as the third book question is concerned, uh, let's just say that I am working on a number of Disney-related projects right now, and I always say half-jokingly that I have to have a third book because my daughter is on the cover of my second. I now have a son, and if they do not, my publisher does not put out a third book, they will have to pay for his psychotherapy. Next email says, Hey Lou, I recently came across your show and have really enjoyed listening to the podcast. I have a couple of semi-related questions that I thought you might be able to provide some insight on. My first question is out of sheer curiosity. I've noticed in recent years that Disney provides free DVD planning guides, and while I've only had some interest in the last 18 months to look at them to prepare for our first trip and subsequent vacations with three young children, I realize I've already accrued three different DVD vacation planning guides. How often are they updated, and are they considered collector's items? I tend to save things, I'm also known as a pack rat, and just know that given DVD players are still around down the road, these might be entertaining to watch years later. I also found that it was a good way to show my kids what they'd be seeing for the first time, and it got them all excited. We spent one day at the Magic Kingdom in January 2006. Uh, I'll stop right here and say they usually update it every year, maybe a year and a half, depending. I think they're a great free collectible. I think it's definitely something you should pick up. Uh, I've done the same thing. I've showed it to my kids in preparation for our trips. Uh, as far as value, they're, they're really not very valuable, except maybe to somebody like myself, who's a completist, who tries to get all the possible DVDs, or maybe I can go back and look and see, um, you know, what was in the parks at that time. Or if I need to see pictures or video of something that is no longer there, that's probably really the only value that they might find. Um, but I, from what I understand, they, people do sell them on eBay, and they usually are very, very inexpensive. If you are looking for the current DVDs, or maybe a DVDs with attractions, stuff like that on it, maybe something new, something a little bit different, I would definitely suggest checking out the Relive the Magic DVD set. They have videos from every Walt Disney World attraction and show on it, as well as walkthroughs of shops and pavilions, etc. There's 16 DVDs from all the four parks. They include extinct attractions like El Rio del Tiempo. I think right now it's $39.99 for all 16. They also have DVD sets of Disneyland, uh, a set with walkthroughs of all the resorts at Walt Disney World and more. I'll put a link up in the show notes at wdwradio.com where you can find them. I have them myself. I enjoy them. I, I highly re recommend them. My kids watch them all the time, and we do too, just to sometimes get that fix when they can't be there, and uh, I, I think they're a lot of fun. My second question is out of my excitement for planning a week-long Disney family vacation that will include my parents, but that vacation is over a year away. I've noticed over the years that Disney always seems to have some kind of overall theme to give a special touch to visit the parks. For example, there was fanfare over the milestone celebrations of the theme parks, albeit Epcot's been left out as I learned just through your show, Walt Disney's 100th birthday, Year of a Million Dreams, etc. They cleverly include this unique theme in their marketing and it even seems to impact special events throughout the park. I recently called Disney's travel information number and they have on their website to inquire about potential new information coming out for next year and more specifically, if they knew how long the Year of a Million Dreams would actually run. The cast member I spoke with on the phone had no clue what to tell me, wouldn't even throw me a bone or offer any insight. I actually began to feel pretty stupid and decided that he took me for a loon, so if you recognize any trends to these celebration themes, how often they're changed, if Disney is always promoting something big at the Disney World Resort, or just in recent years have they simply had a lot to celebrate. I'm eager for, eager for any information that may pertain to our trip scheduled for June 2008, and while I completely understand that schedules are only released so many months in advance, I would appreciate your thoughts and observations on this as well. Thanks for your time and having such interesting guests and great music voice talent. 
I'm hooked, and we'll let my friends know about your show. That comes from Beth in Georgia. Beth, thank you again. I alluded to this very briefly before, because what I'm hearing from people who deal directly with promotions and merchandise in the parks, you may start to see a trend away from these time and date-specific celebrations like the 50th, like you know, Epcot's 25th, like Walt Disney World's 35th anniversary, more towards changes and celebrations that don't mark milestones. I know from from a personal perspective, uh, I sometimes like that because I know if I go down and I buy merchandise that is date-specific or celebration-specific, you know, when I go back and I want to wear, for example, a T-shirt, again, I say, well, you know, this T-shirt's old. I have to get a new one. So other than from a collectible perspective, uh, you know, merchandise-wise, I like when things are not very specific like that. Also, like I've said on previous shows, I think you're going to get to see a trend away from very park-specific or even theme park-specific celebrations. Things like the Year of a Million Dreams and the Happiest Celebration on Earth really take place on a more global scale. They really want to envelop not just an individual theme park or an individual attraction or or, uh, location, but they want to bring it together all the theme parks worldwide and maybe kind of introduce people to the fact that, you know, they could go over to Hong Kong and they could go over to Tokyo and they should go over to Paris to see them at some of the other Disney theme parks and include everybody on these celebrations, which I think is a good thing overall. Lou, I love your show. We're going to Walt Disney World on May 25th. Oh, I feel like WDW today. Anyway, there's nine of us going. My parents, brother and sister-in-law, my two nieces and nephews, my best friend of 30 years and myself. Because there's so many of us looking to eat as inexpensively as possible, have you posted your list of favorite restaurants on your website? If so, I couldn't find it. Pecos Bills, all right, is my favorite all time. But some other recommendations on counter service restaurants would be greatly appreciated. Of course, we're going to do a character lunch. My first character meal experience at the Garden Grill. Is that a good one? Yes, it is. Very good food. I loved your look back on Horizons. That was my favorite ride ever. Really going to miss it when we go down there. Thank you so much for the podcast. All your wonderful trips. It's all wonderful. That's from Stephanie Murphy. Again, Stephanie, I'm sorry that I didn't catch you before you left. I do feel like Matt Hotchberg right now. Forgive me for that. But I will give you some of my favorite counter service restaurants. You know I'm always eager to talk about food. I agree with you over at the Magic Kingdom. I love Pecos Bill's Cafe. I think the, the theming and the atmosphere, and I've said it ad nauseum, I think the best burgers on property. The Main Street Bakery is a great place to get some uh, snacks and some good sugar to load up on. Breakfast, Casey's Hot Dogs, obviously on the corner of Main Street. And uh, a little overlooked egg roll wagon on your way into Adventureland as you as you pass the Swiss Family Treehouse is great for a little kind of walk-up snack. Over at Epcot, I like the Tangerine Cafe over in Morocco. I think you get a lot of food, a lot of very good food for not a lot of money. Uh, something very unique there. I think the Garden Grill... And the Sunshine Seasons over in uh, the land are excellent. They have a great variety over at Sunshine Seasons. The Kringa Bakery Og Cafe in Norway has some nice little snacks and treats and sandwiches, as well as the Cantina de San Angel in Mexico and the Matsunoma Lounge in Japan. At MGM, uh, Starring Rolls Bakery has great sandwiches, really, really nice sandwiches, and it's tucked away kind of in a corner by the Brown Derby. I also like the ABC Commissary for something very different there. Over at Disney's Animal Kingdom, Tusker House and Flame Tree, hands down, are the two very best. I like the pulled pork sandwiches over at Flame Tree and pretty much everything they have over at Tusker House. And if you want a good walk-up counter-service dessert, you must take a walk over to Beaches and Cream over at the Yacht and Beach Club. It is exceptional. I'm going as fast as I can to try and get through as many as I can, but it looks like we have time for just one more email. And don't forget, I will play your voicemails at the very end of the show. Lou, I'm still working my way through back issues of your show, but I'm almost caught up. 
I'm enjoying them a lot. My question for you is this. Can you, can you explain what you mean by e-ticket and d-ticket? I'm a relatively new Disney enthusiast, and I'm not quite familiar with those terms. Thanks. That comes from Jennifer in Connecticut. Jennifer, thank you for listening. And uh, sorry, I kind of take it for granted sometimes when I talk about certain things that uh, are no longer around Walt Disney World, and the A through E ticket books is one of them. So I'll kind of give you a little brief history on how those came to be. Because when the Magic Kingdom opened back in October 71, not only was it a very different place, but you didn't have things like Magic Away passes or Park Hopper passes, passports, or even annual passes back then. You actually had to pay to get into the park. You paid a nominal fee to get in, and then had to buy tickets for pretty much all the attractions and shows, although there were a few notable exceptions. You know, if you had wings, was free and things like that. Uh, entrance to the Magic Kingdom, like I said, it was it was less, maybe like five bucks, which maybe in 1971 dollars sounded a lot at the time, considering you really couldn't ride anything once you got in there. But instead of purchasing one admission ticket to all the rides in the park, you paid the price to get in, then had to buy individual ride tickets or coupons or books of coupons to ride attractions. So on opening day of 71, for example, you could buy a seven-ride coupon book for $4.75, and each attraction ticket cost anywhere from $0.25 to $0.50 cents on average. Now, the tickets range from an A through an E ticket, with E ticket being for the best attractions in the Magic Kingdom. Each attraction, with the exception, like I said, of a few that were free, believe it or not, required a ticket that you used once and handed in, and that was it. Now, as I said, the e-tickets were really reserved for the best attractions in the park, but depending on when you went throughout the years, what was considered an e-ticket might have changed. At one point, the Haunted Hall of Presidents was an e-ticket. The Haunted Mansion was an e-ticket. The Wedway People Mover was an e-ticket. Space Mountain, etc., but then again, those kind of things change. And obviously, as you went down, you know, sea tickets might be things like Peter Pan flights. Uh, the Swiss Family Treehouse was a sea ticket. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. B tickets might be things like Dumbo, the Mad Tea Party, the Shooting Gallery, uh, the Keel Boats, the Main Street Cinema. And obviously, the A tickets were things like some of the transportation things, etc. Now, in the early 80s, they started to phase out, and very, very quickly, actually, these ticket books in anticipation of the opening of Epcot Center rather than having ticket books for all the attractions in the Magic Kingdom and Epcot. They wanted to go to a new type of, of ticketing system. So on November 23rd of 1980, these 10 adventure ticket books were introduced and that replaced the A through E coupons. Now, instead of each of the rides requiring a lettered ticket, all the tickets in the book could be used at any attraction, either in Epcot or the Magic Kingdom. And now in 1981, single and multi-day passports were sold to members of the Magic Kingdom Club. They could be used for unlimited use of all the Magic Kingdom rides and attractions. Now, by the end of 81, all the old coupon books were completely discontinued in favor of this new passport system. But if you did have old leftover coupons, like many of us did, you could actually turn them in. You could redeem them for credit towards the purchase of the, the new passport. Obviously, since that time, the passport system has changed. It's kind of gone through a number of different machinations to get to where we are now, to the Magic Your Way ticketing system. At one point, though, this e-ticket, and I can use the kind of air quotes, kind of lived on, sort of, for, because for guests who were staying on property... Disney World introduced something called E-Ride Nights, which meant that on certain nights of the week, the Magic Kingdom closed to the general public and on-property guests could purchase uh, a wristband for, you know, $10, $12. They could stay in the park for three extra hours, ride some of the big E-ticket attractions like Big Thunder, Buzz Lightyear, Haunted Mansion, after everybody else has left. Uh, this was a great, great system. It's something I really love. I really liked it so much more than the extra Magic Hours, which unfortunately have now replaced it, kind of letting everybody stay in. And uh, at some point, 
still leading to very, very long lines. But uh, there was that E-Ride night, which was phased out just a number of years ago. I always had that. I always enjoyed that feeling of kind of being in the park after hours. But uh, I'll put a picture up in the show notes of an e-ticket and maybe a couple of the other sample tickets so you can get an idea of what they look like. I know I have fond memories of, of purchasing ticket books, uh, of going to the kiosk by 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea with my father to buy one extra e-ticket before we left for the day. And honestly, one of my favorite collectibles are not only a couple of full unused ticket coupon books, but a framed e-ticket that hangs uh, actually right above my, my microphone here in my office. So that's going to do it for this week's emails. Uh, again, we ran a little bit long, but uh, I do have plenty more of here to get to. Of course, send your emails to lou at wdwradio.com. I'll either answer them on the show or via email directly back to you. I've always said that Walt Disney World and Disney in general are the very best at what they do. So as part of our recurring segment on the WDW Radio Show, we're going to highlight the best of the best at Walt Disney World. This week's best of the best at Walt Disney World segment focuses on... Disney's Vacation Club again and what the best indulgence at Disney's Vacation Club is part of being a DVC member and owning DVC is being able to go and relax and just enjoy some downtime at Walt Disney World so we brought back our friend Chantel Crawford owner of DVCbyresale.com to come in and talk to us about Disney's best DVC indulgence Chantel welcome back thank you Lou always a pleasure to be here thanks for inviting me I'm sure, you know, this was very tough for you to try and come up with, you know, what the best of the best indulgence at Disney is. I said, there's so much to do and and part of the enjoyment of being a DVC member is just being able to relax and take it all in and take advantage of what Disney has. So tell me, in your your research that you've done, what is Disney's best (laughs) DVC indulgence? You created quite the challenge this time, Lou. Quite frankly, one of my personal indulgences is just sitting on the balcony at Vero Beach, drinking coffee in the mornings and watching the sun come up. That was one I considered, but I had to go with the spa at Saratoga Springs. Being able to walk in there, get a massage, get a facial, get a pedicure, just be treated like a queen for a day, that is the ultimate indulgence. And you think that's arguably the very best spa Disney has on property? I do. I do. Absolutely. I've, uh, I've, I've ventured into a few. Um, I can't say that I'm the expert on all, of course. But it is obviously the newest facility, state-of-the-art, uh, wonderful cast members. Uh, I think it's comparable to the Disney Cruise Line, which I think you've probably uh, been on. Have you been on a Disney Cruise? Luke? Yes. Yes, I went last and year. did... Did you get to go into the spa? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Well, take my word for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait. That actually leads me to a question before, you know, because I'm sure there's men out there who are cursing me for telling, you know, their wives that they that the best place to go on property is a spa. Is there stuff, either, you know, if, if a man was so inclined Absolutely. to go? Yes. The men are never left out at Disney World. We know how important you guys are and you need a break, too. So I know that they have a gentleman's facial. 
And even more exciting is they have a couple's massage. I believe they have a couple's day where you can just both go and be treated. Um, I'm not sure if you're a pedicure guy, Lou, but there are lots of men who are. It is one of the great ways to just be pampered, get your legs massaged, just kick back and relax. They offer that as well. So uh, the pedicure, might, the pedicure might be a stretch for me, but let's go back to the massage portion. <laughs> <of it. laughs> Plenty of massage. You can you can go with your wife. Um, I think they even have a mother daughter day package. Um, so if you you know if, if 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 it's a Mother's Day treat. Nice, nice indulgence for them. Dad, you can give that as a, as a nice gift. You know, maybe this wasn't a good idea. You're costing me much more than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lou. I've got to look out for my girls. Great. So they have, and we'll put a link up in the show notes to the Saratoga Springs Resort and Spa um, Spa Program page over at, at Disney.com. Highly recommended. I think it is the best indulgence that the DVC offers right now. I, I, obviously, it's always arguable, but I'm going. I'm sticking with my decision. And it is open, obviously, to anybody that even if you're not staying at, if you're not a DVC member or not even staying at Disney Saratoga Springs, it's open to anybody. Correct? That is correct. Just remember that once you experience it, you will want to become a Disney Vacation Club member. <laughs> Great. And, <laughs> and I will lead, that will lead into a shameless plug on my part. If you're interested in Disney's Vacation Club buying or selling, the best way to do it is through resale. I can think of no better person to take care of any questions you might have about the DVC or purchasing or uh, selling through DVC by resale. And that's Chantel and her get website again is dvcbyresale.com. Chantel, thanks for all your hard work in checking out the best DVC indulgence, Disney's Saratoga Springs Spa. My pleasure, Lou. My pleasure. Um, keep the assignments coming. I'm enjoying these more <laughs> and more with each one. <laughs> thanks as always for having me on. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks, Chantel. Thank you again for tuning in this week, and I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to thank Jeff Pepper, as well as Chantel Crawford from DVCbyresale.com for coming on the show. Of course, thanks to you for coming back and tuning in once again. Don't forget to visit the WDWRadio.com website for more information, links, photos, and more. There you can also visit the merchandise shop to get your official WDW Radio t-shirts in a variety of colors and styles. On the website, you'll also find links to our friends over at The Magic for Less Travel where you can get a free, no-obligation quote for any Disney vacation. They offer outstanding services, which are completely free to you. They check for discounts on your reservations on a daily basis. They have a ton of great promotions going on right now. Don't forget the free dining special is still available if you book by June 24th. You can combine that with their exclusive mini pack or luxury pixie dust packs. Contact them with any questions or trip planning inquiries. Again, you can find the link on the www.radio.com website. On upcoming shows, we'll do more in our Epcot retrospective series, interviews, have a new contest, trivia, a ton of your listener feedback to get to, and more. Don't forget that I'm still looking for your input into the next of the seven wonders of Walt Disney World, which I announced as being the cast members. I want you to share your stories or thoughts by calling the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. And if you have a suggestion for what you think should be included and covered as one of the other seven wonders, there's still time. So let me know via voicemail, email, or posting on the forums as well. Remember that you can email me anytime with your questions, comments, or suggestions to Lou 
at WDWRadio.com. Also, please come by the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com to talk with other listeners and readers about the show. It's fun. It's free. I'd love you to come by and be a member of what we consider to be the happiest forums on Earth. As I said, we just passed the 20,000 member mark in just over three years, but we still remain a very close, warm, and welcoming family, so come by and check that out. Again, thank you for tuning in this week. Please help spread the word to your friends, families, and on other communities. Have a great week. See ya! Hey Lou, this is Jess from Princeton. Just got through listening to the show and uh, loved the trip report. Sounds like you guys had a blast. Uh, the one thing I was going to say, I was listening about the part about the Grand Fiesta tour and uh, I was kind of bummed to hear that there's no real merchandise there because uh, my son recently discovered that movie himself and uh, we're going down in September. So we were hoping to maybe find some Three Caballeros merchandise. But as far as the movie not being for sale, the reason why... As far as I know, it is in the vault, or it has been recently taken off the market anyhow, because I had to purchase my copy off of eBay. But anyway, otherwise, sounds like a great trip from you guys, and it was a great trip report, and love the show. Thanks. Hey, Lou, it's Brad Garfinkel calling from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the uh, current home of Magic Meets. Uh, the reason I was calling, I wanted to just comment on the buses and uh, the change uh, that you were talking about in your show this week. Uh, my wife, Julia, Cindy, and I, uh, my wife, Cindy, and my daughter, Julia, and I just got back from uh, Walt Disney World and we stayed at the boardwalk, and several of the buses we took actually had the music playing. Uh, boardwalk heading to the Magic Kingdom stopped. The buses stopped from Boardwalk to Swan and then Dauphin, and uh, music was playing in the background. There was an automated announcement with the next stop. The only words we actually heard the bus drivers say were, uh, good morning when we boarded and have a good day when we got off. So it was actually quite disappointing. We weren't able to really decipher if there was any sort of a theme in the music as we were heading to Magic Kingdom. Uh, we also had a similar bus heading from downtown Disney back to the boardwalk where it also played music. And, uh, again, it, it seemed like it was classical music. It was not Disney music. At least it didn't appear to be so. But uh, I was actually quite disappointed. I, we uh, had two of probably the best, best bus rides we've ever had during the trip, uh, full of knowledge, uh, sing-alongs, great bus drivers. And uh, that was a thrill to see, and it's something that I, I very much enjoy I generally will, will pick uh, the brains of any bus driver about any rumors that are going on. Usually they have some of the best information or they spread the best rumors. But I uh, was obviously disappointed with, uh, with the new buses. Um, it takes away from that human interaction. And also as a Disney purist, uh, I feel the same way about living with the land. So one more step in, uh, I guess, trying to either save on, uh, on a human body and uh, having a computer do the job that a cast member could do. So that's it. I thought I'd provide that feedback. Uh, I know you're going to be there very shortly, and you'll see for yourself. Thanks for a great show, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hi, Lou. This is Disney Lee from Indiana, and I am calling with a thought I had today. I know you've been talking a lot about the upcoming half marathon and the full marathon, and um, I got online to sign up this morning. I've been procrastinating, but I saw it was 95% full, so I panicked and went ahead and signed up switched over to the forums to let everybody know that I'm official and I'm going to be participating and would love to meet with everybody. But when I came home from work to try to get in my daily jog to prepare for the half marathon, I had a thought that I could not remember if anybody had been discussing or not. Um, I know there's a lot of first-time half marathoners, and um, I have always been told that training on a treadmill is different than training outside. And I didn't know how many of the listeners might, might be training on a treadmill, but I know that, um, at least I've always been told, 
that on a treadmill when you're training, you're supposed to run at a slope. I believe the incline should be at least two or three, but I didn't know if you might want to research that or ask all of the resident professional runners what they thought, but I thought I'd share that. Thanks. Love the show. Hi, Lou. This is Tim Sampson calling from Walt Disney World. It's Tuesday, May 29th, and this is our last full day at the resort. Uh, we are currently waiting for a bus to Epcot. We're staying at Disney Saratoga Springs, and we're at the carousel this time around. So we're uh, waiting to go over to Epcot and enjoy our last full day here. Uh, the weather's been really nice, but uh, the parks have been crowded all weekend, uh, all Memorial Day weekend. I'm really interested to see how the crowds are today. Uh, we were at Epcot last night and enjoyed illumination. Uh, it was very, very crowded on uh, Monday night, Memorial Day night. So I uh, just wanted to touch base with everybody and let you know we're having a great time, and uh, we hope to meet a lot more people here the next time we're here. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hi, Lou. Uh, my name's Larry Fiore, and first of all, I want to say I, I really enjoy your show, and I, I really enjoy the format of the show that not only combines the news, but also uh, some of the history aspects of Disney. And that's the reason uh, for my call. Um, this past weekend, my wife and family and I spent a couple days up in Marceline, Missouri, uh, which is about a three-and-a-half-hour drive from our home here in St. Louis. And I thought it might be an interesting segment for your show in the future uh, to perhaps... Uh, interview some of these folks from Marceline. Um, they've got a, quite a bit of uh, history about Walt, not only from his boyhood, but uh, <clears throat> from his return visits there as he was older. In fact, one of the uh, ladies who works as a volunteer at the Walt Disney Hometown Museum uh, had, uh, had uh, hosted Walt back in 1956 at her home with uh, her and her husband. Um, her name is Inez Johnson, and again, she works at the Hometown Museum. Also, too, uh, I, I, the reason I thought it might be good is because, like I said, your history uh, aspect of your show. And they're always looking for uh, some sort of publicity to help get Marceline uh, better known. And they do have uh, a lot of interesting facts and stories that uh, that they can share with you. And I, I, So I thought it, it might be good to uh, maybe reach them and uh, get some information from them and share it with your listeners. Um, another person that uh, that I spoke to and, and, and met this past weekend, her name was Debbie Poor, and it's P-O-R-E, and she runs the Uptown Marceline Theater, the Uptown Theater, actually. Um, and that is the historic theater where Walt, when he did come back, uh, he uh, held a, a, uh, gave a speech on the stage of that theater, and it also uh, had a couple of the uh, premiere showings of a couple of his films. One was a great locomotive chase and then the uh, cartoon in 1998 I believe it was of the spirit of Mickey so it does have some history there and she's very knowledgeable about uh, about Walt's time in Marceline not only does she run the theater but she runs a bed and breakfast which is upstairs of, of the theater where we stay which is which is just wonderful and also a shop uh, that's right next door that sells Disney merchandise and uh, she also controls the uh, uh, Main Street, uh, on the Main Street, they have uh, speakers that play Disney music all day long, and she handles that as well. So, uh, But anyway, I know this is kind of long, but I, I just, when I got back, I said I have, to, I have to spread the word about Marceline, and I know everybody knows about it in the history of Walt, but 
uh, I thought it might be interesting for uh, to expand on that and talk to some of these people who have actually not only met Walt but but live uh, the magic of Walt uh, every day up in their community. And they also have in mid-September they have what they call Tune Fest, which is a parade and they have guest speakers and they have contests. Um, they invite uh, fellow cartoonists and sometimes Imagineers. Tony Baxter's been up there. Uh, along with Pete Doctor, who directed Monsters, Inc., and this is the third weekend in September, and uh, they're looking to promote that as well. It sounds like a fun time. We haven't been able to make it up there for uh, ourselves as yet. Uh, we've been trying to, but uh, I think this year we'll be able to do it this time. So um, just wanted to pass that along to you. If you needed to get a hold of any of these folks, um, you can. Uh, I don't have their email. I do have Debbie's email address. It's Debbie at uptown-marceline.com, I believe. But if you if you look up Uptown Marceline, um, you'll get to the website and it'll give you more information. And then the Walt Disney Hometown Museum has their own website as well. Um, but anyway, just wanted to uh, pass that information along. I thought maybe you might be interested in uh, pursuing that. Anyway, keep up the good work, and uh, we'll keep listening. Thanks. Bye.